0: This is Amanda. And this is Rachel. And this is Vocal Perspective. Perspective.
1: Hey, folks. This is Rachel, and I am here both with my co-host, Amanda, and with Essen Adengaz, who is a film composer living in L.A., among doing many other incredible things, such as working on decapella. So, hey, Essen, how you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Awesome. Thank you. So, (laughs) I'd love to start off with your background in music. So can you talk a little bit about your experience and your history?
2: Sure. So I started playing piano when I was four. Uh, And at the beginning, of course, it was like very like children's songs, like easy stuff, not serious at all. And then when my parents discovered that I could like learn by ear, they got me a teacher and then I started getting private lessons. And then there was this like part-time state conservatory program in Turkey. So starting from third grade in elementary school, I started going there and it's a 6-year program where like you go to a normal school but on the weekends and after school you go to a like serious conservatory and we would have to prepare like 45 minutes of memorized music. My background is in classical piano basically. Yeah. <laughs> and of course as a child it started to get me bored and I started hating it and I was really <laughs> mad at my parents for forcing me to go. <laughs> but then when I finally graduated when that pressure was over, I started really liking music and like going online sheet music practicing my parents were like what is wrong with this kid because like we know she's been lying about practicing but she just wasn't and suddenly like I couldn't get myself away from the piano Wow and then my best friend wrote a song and the story is that she started music after me so when I saw that she could write a song I was like oh like if she can do it I can do it (laughs) (laughs) so I also like started writing songs and it then really like became a big big passion for me before that I never considered doing it as a career but then I don't know, like with writing music, it changed, everything changed. And then I discovered that Berkeley College of Music has this five week summer program for high school students. So that's what I did. It was in 2010. And I completely fell in love with the school and I really wanted to attend there full time. But I was so worried because my background wasn't really jazz, and like everybody in Turkey perceives Berkeley as a jazz school. Oh. So then I started taking lessons from an alumna. And then that went well. And then uh, thankfully I got in. So at Berkeley, I did film. Scoring and contemporary writing and production as my majors, and I also did a, a minor in musical theater writing.
0: So you weren't busy at all. <laughs> yeah. I was not
2: busy, <laughs> but it was so much fun. Like because it was such a big dream, and I'm coming from far, far away. I'm from Turkey, so I like left everybody I know behind, and like as a 18 year old, it's kind of scary. But it yeah. was so worth it. And because I did the summer program, I already had a lot of friends, so I didn't feel alone at all. It, it felt home more than it felt home in Turkey. And I'm like still homesick not of Turkey but of Berkeley
0: (laughs) that's so good to hear
2: so yeah (laughs) that's pretty much it (laughs) so what
0: sent you out to LA initially
2: so ever since I was little I have been obsessed with Disney and like I didn't know what I could do for Disney but I knew I wanted to work for Disney and when I started writing those instrumental pieces and songs my friends were telling me oh like this sounds like movie music and in Turkey like there's no education for film scoring so I was like what does that mean like what can I do and then I went to Berkeley with the hopes of one day writing music for Disney, Pixar or Broadway and I was like yeah. "Ooh, like if I, if I could write for Disney like most of those movies end up on Broadway anyways so like <laughs> yeah. two birds with one stones and I'm not there yet but I'm so grateful to be working with Disney on other capacities.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that brings in a nice transition to how did you
2: get involved in Disney? How did that partnership come about? Literally dust. So <laughs> <laughs> before I graduated, I scheduled a trip to LA just to see if I would actually like it there. Mm-hmm. And before doing so, I went on LinkedIn and I found a lot of Berkeley people who graduated and then worked at Disney some point in their life. So I found 45, 50 people, wow. most of which were Berkeley related, but some were just from the Disney music group or some other like music supervision stuff doing at Disney and I I didn't have professional LinkedIn so I also found them on Facebook and I messaged them out of those like 50 people two of them got back to me and they were really nice like they invited me over to the lot and they like showed me around which was perfect and like nothing came out of it and then a year and a half later it's my first year in LA I'm like miserable doing bajillion internships at once not doing anything music related because when you're an intern that's not how it goes (laughs) nope and like I was seriously so sad, I was like crying every night. Really didn't like it here. And then one morning I wake up to this message: "Hey, you in LA? You have experience with a cappella?" And I'm like, "Who's this guy? Like, what is going on?" And then I scroll up, and it's one of those Disney guys that I messaged. And like I look him up, he's like the vice president of external affairs at Walt Disney Music Group. And I'm like, "What have I done?" <laughs> That's he- amazing. So I was like, "Ah, oh, yes, I'm in LA. I have experience with a cappella because thankfully at Berkeley I was in a cappella group called Odir soundtrack choir where we were singing stuff just from TV series, movies, anime video games and I was both singing but we also started adding like orchestra and piano in the background so I also became the pianist so I told him that and then he started sending me these voice notes and because he's British he has an accent and I couldn't tell what he was saying so I'm like (laughs) getting my native speaker friends I'm like what is this guy saying like help me I have to get this (laughs) so yeah like then I showed interest and then he got me a meeting literally next morning at 7am with Deke Sharon what? because he was in town and they were discussing Capella stuff and at this point nobody knows what DiCapella is so I was terrified of missing my meeting and I think I woke up at 4 30 a.m. or 5 and like went to the place super early because Deke had a flight so we had to meet early and then I let him know that hey no rush I'm already here come here whenever you want and then at the end of the meeting he was like so like this breakfast will be on Mickey like you're hired and I'm like Ah, oh! like seriously, <laughs> best amazing. day of my life! Yeah. Wow. So, how did you celebrate? I, I'm still celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> and this is how many years later? This breakfast thing happened in December 2017. It'll almost wow. be two years. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yeah.
0: So, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about how you and Deek work together? Like, what is the process for you both working with Capella?
2: Sure. So first, I got hired as the music assistant. And I would receive arrangements by Deke and then I would make sure the score looks really pretty and almost like ready to publish. And then um, I also prepare all the in-ear monitor stuff for the cast. In the rehearsals, I play piano. If Deke is not around, I do music direct. And there are times where we would receive stuff from disney archives and i would put the basic information on the score and prepare it before deke starts arranging it and it so it really depends sometimes i have to transcribe because like sometimes we work on songs that are so new that are not notated yet or like that that are so old that they can't really digitally find it for example for those who saw the show there's a part from silly symphonies like who's afraid of the big bad wolf that one didn't really have proper notation because it's from like 19 30s or I forgot maybe 20s I don't want to say something wrong but like I had to transcribe it which was really challenging but really fun
0: It's awesome to hear that because that is my favorite song from the
1: show. (laughs)
2: Yes! (laughs) Perfect. So glad to hear that. So
1: I wanted to ask what do you feel like has been the best part about this experience for
2: you? Honestly like being surrounded by such talented but such humble people because like coming to LA not everybody is that way and like it's been truly so joyful to work with everyone. I feel so welcomed. I'm not a part of the cast obviously like I'm just helping them when they need but they're still always so friendly and always so like beautiful to work with like just the fact that i'm working for disney because it's been such a dream for so long when deke sent me those arrangements i just hear them on finale and finale audio isn't the greatest (laughs) but still i would tear up literally every time i'm like oh my goodness like i'm working With Disney, this is unbelievable. And it didn't go away even though it's been almost two years. Like every time I'm as excited as I was the first day. That's great.
0: And so, you know, you're working with one of the biggest companies in the world, but you're also a freelance musician and you're working on so many other projects. Can you talk a little bit about some of the other things that you work on?
2: So I'm also music directing. In the spring, I have music directed Little Shop of Horrors at a local community theater in Santa Monica called Morgan Wixen. And right now I'm doing Legally Blonde Jr. with a theater in Woodland Hills and it's honestly so much fun film composing is such a lonely job at the end because like mostly you're in your room studio like wherever you are just like doing edits after edits and it's very isolating so i really need that human interaction so music directing allows me to do that other than that currently i'm writing music for a a web series it's an animated web series for preschoolers so that's been really fun because they didn't really want like a melodic theme every episode is completely different they just like give me directions about like oh like this should be joyful and like happy and hopeful and this should be like Halloweenish. this should be like think of being on a lake just sailing there's no wind so it's always so different that I never get bored of working on that I also recently wrote awesome yeah I can't wait for you guys to hear it uh, it's not out yet I'm
0: looking forward to it
2: <laughs> thank you what else I'm thinking I currently wrote music for a Chinese TV series it's actually not my gig it's a friend from Berkeley he's the main composer on it his name is Randro Zawabi but he got music Me and my partner write additional music. So I'm all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. Thank you.
1: I wanted to ask a little bit since part of our focus is on women or female identifying folks in Mm -hmm. the music space and in particular the a cappella space. How do you feel like you've been treated as a woman in the space? What are some things you feel like have gone well for you and things that you think are still challenges that
2: need to be worked on? Sure. By the way, I didn't mention this, but I'm a board member of Alliance for Women Film Composers. Excellent. And it consists of a lot of supportive colleagues who are mostly older than me, but they've really been so nice and they're always willing to share from their experience. Or So you never feel alone, even if you experience something wrong. Yeah. And I've been very lucky I didn't get assaulted or like anything like that. But for me, the payments have been really, really (laughs) difficult. Maybe because I'm really friendly looking. Like, I don't know, if I don't bother someone like a few times, Mm. it's been really challenging to get the checks. (laughs) Wow. And I don't know if it's about being a female or if it's about me being young or like new in LA, but like oftentimes that's my biggest struggle.
1: Interesting. Do you feel like maybe we hear about pay disparities in gender? Do you feel like that's something that you contend with?
2: Yeah, like definitely.
1: Yeah. How do you deal with that?
2: Is it something that's really obvious? Do you feel like you just have to accept it? No, I don't want to accept it because I don't think the work that women do is any less than the work that men do. I guess I'm just trying to like keep it kind, but like show them that I'm a valuable asset to the project, whatever it is. I can agree on maybe having a smaller fee in the first project, but like if I keep working with them, I wouldn't want to continue that yeah but yeah I'm, I'm learning business too I honestly had no idea about like running a business or like this aspect of music I was only caring about making music especially because at Berkeley with the student visa like I didn't have a working visa oh. so like, I didn't experience working until I moved to LA and it's only been two years yeah so I'm now learning to send invoices immediately after the project <laughs> or like start discussing the money matters before starting to do the work and it is getting better but but I know, like, my other friends are kind of struggling with that too. Mm-hmm.
0: It's so hard. You don't think when you're preparing to do a great job, sometimes I didn't think about the business part either and now I find myself actually spending more time on the business side than actually making the music which can be frustrating but also
2: exactly yeah
0: something I warn young artists about all the time now because I've had to learn it all on my own and I imagine you have too and that comes with a lot of mistakes and frustration
2: oh yes
1: (laughs) I think one of the smart things that you did was which is something that I've done and I found it to great effect which is yes I will accept a lower salary in the beginning but give me six months three months months, some period of time to prove myself and prove that I'm worth more money.
0: So what kind of advice would you have for musicians, artists that would like to come out to L.A. and chase their dreams? Do you have any advice for them?
2: Honestly, I feel like if someone is passionate enough and if they're following their hearts enough, it's impossible not to succeed because there's so much entertainment, music and film happening in the city. It's hard to find the paid ones because people from all over the world come here to do what they love and obviously like they volunteer a lot and i had to do it myself too because for the artist visa all i needed was credit so the first year i was here i was just trying to get that portfolio going so like i also did a lot of free work but yeah, like once you make those connections, then like you should start to be trying to get what you deserve and then start building your career up from there. From one of the internships that I've done, I've met so many people and so many of them are like giving my name around that it's been so so beneficial for my career. That's awesome.
1: In terms of next steps, what what's coming
2: up for you next? I'm going to also try to become an artist in Turkey, Ooh. meaning that like I want to write I'm right now producing for a Turkish singer and I wanna keep doing more work with there because you never know like if I can stay here forever or not so even though I'm mostly LA based I definitely want to do more work with Turkey nice other than that with di capella they've just finished this amazing Japan tour and I'm hoping like there will be more songs that Deke and I can work on. So in terms of dream songs that you haven't
1: had a chance to work on yet, maybe specifically for Di Capella or else or otherwise, is there anything that's a dream or reach that you're hoping for next?
2: Sure. With Di Capella, like one of my favorite Disney movies is Lilo and Stitch. Aww. So I would love to have maybe like the Hawaiian roller coaster ride or something. Fun. And from the classics, like we haven't done a Dream is a your heart makes. Aww. I don't know. I think those two would be fun.
0: Absolutely. I could totally see the cast doing those two and really having fun with them.
2: <laughs> yeah, I should tell Deke. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Deke, if you're listening, that's
2: what Essen Deke, wants to please. do next. <laughs> <laughs> are there any songs that you would like us to do? <laughs>
0: uh, I have so many. Oh What's goodness. the one I was missing?
2: There are
1: some bits and pieces right of things Mm -hmm. so like yeah it's hard to say if um if you say that and there's already a bit of piece of it then but you'd want to hear the
2: full thing yeah exactly we had some bumpers for American Idol Mm. so like they were doing um what can I say except you're welcome from Moana but like we never really did the full thing yeah so that would be fun Mm -hmm. because from Moana we only have how far I'll go so far yeah <laughs> There's a bunch of stuff coming out. They're redoing a bunch of Disney movies as live action,
1: right? So I wonder, yes, if it, will there be new music from there that could be used in this fashion, like like the new Mary oh, Poppins absolutely.
2: and stuff like that? Exactly. Like we had the place where the lost things go from the new Mary Poppins movie. Yeah. Uh, we we just released a video of Speechless uh, from Aladdin. Nice. So I'm thinking. There'll probably be something from Mulan. Yeah. But I really don't know. Like, I'm just making it up right now. I finally thought about what I want to hear, and it's When You Wish Upon a Star. Oh. Yeah. But yes. I know that that one's really
0: hard to get approval for, mm. but I love that song. Yeah. Keep That's fighting great for that me, you Asin. mentioned
2: it. Yes, I will. I would love to do that. And I think Morgan really wants to do that. Mm. Morgan
0: would sound amazing on it. For those of you that don't know, Morgan Keene is the soprano for mm-hmm. decapella. Capella. Mm. Morgan would sound amazing on pretty much anything, I mean, but fair. <laughs> exactly. I would especially like to hear that one.
2: <laughs> Her princess voice. Uh, she <laughs> so is. Beautiful. She's the
0: perfect Disney princess is
2: really what she <laughs> is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
1: I wonder outside of Di Capella, is there any cappella that you're hoping to do in the future? Is that a genre or a style of music that you're interested in pursuing more of?
2: Oh, absolutely. I think like there is a beauty to human voice that other instruments can't capture. And actually, I've been using choirs in my film composing more ever since I started working with decapella. So I would really love to continue this, even if I'm like playing for them, or like even if I'm singing in it, if it's a big choir, and it doesn't require to be like professional singers, because I'm not. But I would love to like keep being a part of the a cappella world to any capacity.
0: And the a cappella world would be lucky to have you. Oh
2: thank you so much. And I would love to arrange. That's something I would really, really like to do. Well, I'm, I'm sure there are people listening who can help make that happen.
0: Yeah. Anyone that, that wants be the, wonderful. you know, <laughs> assistant music director for Decapella to arrange for your group, please get in touch with Essen. Look in the show notes and we will share how to get in touch with Essen because she is definitely someone you want to be working with. Absolutely.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Essen Atingas, thank you so much for your time today, for sharing your experience and your insights with us. We're so grateful.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is Amanda.
1: And this is
0: Rachel. And we are your hosts of Vocal Perspective. And today on our extra segment, after we talk to our very esteemed guests, we want to talk about why it's important to go and watch other acapella performances and what you can learn from that. Right before this, Rachel and I were talking about a group like Straight No Chaser. Straight No Chaser sings a lot of top 40, a lot of overdone songs. Oh, at least the acapella community believes that they're overdone. and they're, I know a lot of acapella people maybe consider them a little bit vanilla. Hmm. It took me a while to want to go to their show and honestly I went because I knew the sound guy and he got us free tickets. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first time that I saw them and they had already been on tour for several years and there was just never any draw for me to go. Yeah. And then after I went to the show I had a whole new appreciation for them that I never would have had if I hadn't given them a chance. And yes, it ended up by accident but it gave me a new perspective of why I should be going to see these groups especially ones that are seeing a lot of success yeah and even though it might not be my cup of tea something that i learned from the straight well actually there were several lessons that i learned from straight note chaser it's okay to sing the overdone songs if you're doing it well and you're doing it with energy again we've talked about this before but your audiences are usually not super into acapella like right they have not seen a hundred acapella groups your group might be the only acapella group they've ever seen and they do it with such joy um, totally. And, which is great because, you know, they're on stage every night, but they continue to do it with joy. Yeah. And, and a couple of other things I noticed is they had some dance moves and they were coordinated, but the whole show wasn't coordinated. And I liked that. You yeah. Know, it's hard to get into this, you know, dance routine but just simple everyone snapping at the same time simple like everyone's doing these simple foot movements or their hands yes. move at the same time and it adds something to the show and then one lesson that I'm sure they weren't intending for me to learn was <laughs> you know straight no chaser is about 12 14 guys I, I yep. sorry that I don't remember and one of their guys is off in the lead. And it was a very hot night. We were at Wolf Trap and it's an outdoor theater here in DC, for those of you that don't know. And if you're ever in DC, I highly suggest going to a Wolf Trap show. It's very unique.
1: I was there last night.
0: (laughs) But it can be very hot in the summertime and the artists have to deal with whatever weather they are Given, yeah, and their lead singer, he really gets into it. He's a dancer, and he was up on stage dancing, and he dropped to the floor. And the audience, for a second, was like, "Oh, maybe that, that was part like, of his dance moves." And you know, the rest of the band kept going. Yeah, no, so, like he like dropped to the floor, and the rest of the band kept going for like twenty seconds, and then we all kind of collectively realized that he didn't intend to do that, and there was actually yeah. something wrong with him. Like he had passed out. So they did have to stop that song and get him off stage and I'm sure they gave him some orange juice or something off stage to bring him back but the group had to pull an audible the group had to make it work and because that guy was their main soloist their options were probably limited but for the next three or four songs they were just like, oh, okay, hey, you know, the audience came to buy a ticket, and yes, we're worried about our our bandmate, but there's plenty of people backstage right. taking care of him, so we're just gonna sing these songs that we know we can do. I mean, and they had like less dance moves and less everything, but it was a very real yeah. moment. And then eventually, you know, we were lucky; the the lead singer was able to come back on stage and finish the show. But it was an excellent lesson for me to learn as a performer on how to handle that and how to <sighs> roll with things, and that awful things may actually happen while you're on stage and how you handle it says a lot to your audience.
1: Totally. I was actually there for that concert as well. And that was a pretty scary moment, but also like a really good learning Mm. moment, I think. I think too, one of the things particularly I would say with groups that are long, long running, have been performing together for a while and, and, you know, have opportunities to perfect this kind of thing. One of the things that I really love is the banter. That's something that, that... that groups that do this for a long time have developed an, a way to have a conversation on stage with each other and the audience and that's something that I just I love it's a little insight into the people behind the personas that they're projecting on stage and I think that one of the things that you can learn watching these groups perform is how to do it well because it's really obvious when it's scripted and when it's not and when it's like <laughs> genuine and authentic and so I've seen the bobs do it so beautifully. So beautifully. Six Appeal also does this very well, where they just where they have this like you can tell that they are buddies and friends off stage because they have this ability to sort of bring some of their relationship on stage and show it off to people.
0: Yeah. And a group that I think does this especially well, and they do this at pretty much every show I've ever seen them is uh, the House Jacks. Yeah, they have this long standing tradition of doing live requests. And That's not for every group. It requires a super high level of musicality, a super high level of comfort with improv, a super high level of communication within the group. It is not an easy thing to do. However, they do it so well. So for those of you who have not been to a House Jack show, essentially you know, towards the end of their show, they get up in front of the audience and say, OK, it's time for you to give us your live requests. So they are interacting with the audience. Like now I think Nick Gerard tends to lead it. He goes out in the audience and he says, you know, what songs do you want to hear? And they take people shouting at them. And there's tricks to this. But sometimes the group knows the songs and sometimes, sometimes the group that- does not know the songs. <laughs> right. And it's fun because the audience feels like they've taken control of the show, that they have a say, that they're having a conversation with the group. Yeah. And when the group doesn't know the song and when they crash and burn, it's actually a better part of the show. Totally. Like it doesn't have to be perfect. And they they get to see one, they get to see the group like laughing and having a good time. But they also get to see a little bit of, hey, guess what? This isn't easy. And it takes a lot of work to do what they do to perfect the other songs that they sing. Totally. I'll never forget. Like I see them doing and it makes me laugh every time. But there was a show that my own group opened for the House Jacks. And it was a small show here in D.C. Yeah. It was actually pouring rain that night so our attendance was pretty low. No. I mean sheets of, sheets of rain. It was it was we all laugh about how awful the weather was that night but it was back in like 2012 and somebody in the audience asked for call me maybe by carly Jepsen oh. and carly ray jepson and the group had not it was fairly new at the time and the group had not heard it oh. so what did austin willis he do he got up and he sang i think they pulled up call me maybe like on a cell phone so he could at least see the lyrics or he just made them up he may have just made up the lyrics and put call me maybe in there and he sang it to the tune of twinkle twinkle little star oh my god that- That's amazing. I laughed so hard. And you know, it was they didn't sing Call Me Maybe. It was awful. I don't know what the background was doing. (laughs) But it was funny. And I'll remember it forever. But that's like being open with your audience. And the audience loves it. If you do it, and you're comfortable doing it, like, don't be afraid to reach out to your audience. And Watch when groups do this because when you're in the audience, you get to see an outside perspective, yeah, totally. And you get to see what works and things, some tips that you can bring back to your own group. I'm not saying copy them exactly, but just some ideas yeah. that you can bring back and see what works. Can for you can be inspired. It's like almost every time I go to a show by a group, like a touring group, especially, yes. I learn. I get to under It's almost like I'm taking mental notes. I should be sitting there with a notebook, Yeah. Me, but I get to learn what works and sometimes what doesn't work and start to understand their secrets to success. And I think a lot of people can stand to learn a lot from these long time long touring groups.
1: Cool. Well, we hope that you guys had an opportunity to learn a little bit about how you might be able to take advantage of opportunities to go see groups perform yourselves. So why don't you let us know some of the tips and tricks and things that you've learned from these groups, you can contact us at on air at aquaville.com or .org. And you can reach out to us on Aquaville Radio at all major platforms. And that wraps up this week's episode
0: of Vocal Perspective. Thanks again for joining us and to our guest, Essen Idingos for sharing her very valuable perspective here on our show. We'll be back next Tuesday with episode 13. For those of you listening to the live broadcast, here's a little bit from decapella so you can hear some of the work from Essen. Have a great week.